Howdy, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. Love, love, love this company. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode. But now, on with the show. The S&P 500 entered bear market finally this week closed in bear market territory. And I believe also on average bear markets last about 20 months. Until inflation gets to a point where the Fed is comfortable with it, they are not going to stop on this tightening cycle. But you know, one of the other things that we hear all the time is, oh, they're trying to orchestrate a soft landing. It's again, it's not impossible, but it's improbable, which is why the market is having so much consternation about what's going to happen and, and what everybody's going to say. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of On the Margin. Today, I am joined by Liz Young at SoFi. Liz, welcome to the show. Hello. So excited to be here, especially on a big day like today. Is it a big day? Is something no, else? I mean, you know, a couple things going on. Yep. We should probably get to it. So we're talking on June 15th right now. This is the F- We've got the FOMC minutes coming out at 2 p.m. today. We're actually recording about an hour before those minutes go live. It's probably one of the most consequential FOMCs that at least I can remember in recent memory. Walk us through kind of what what the market should be expecting today. Or like you know, it's that. funny. I, I feel like I say that to myself and anybody else who will <laughs> listen. Every time we have a meeting, I'm like, oh, this is the one, right? Um, <laughs> and, but this one now, I feel like this is the one. I'll mm. say the same thing in July and the same thing in September. Mm. So walk you through what they're thinking, what I think is going to happen. I mean, there's a lot that's changed, honestly, mm-hmm. in the even in the last week of trading days. So that, that CPI print that we got on Friday that surprised everybody negatively, um, I guess, further proved that inflation is a longer lasting problem and is so far not being affected by some of the tightening that we've had. But here's here's actually something, and I think this is important for people to know. So central bankers make monetary policy decisions. They know that that decision does not have immediate impact on the economy. Mm-hmm. It has immediate impact on the market, right? The market's going to react to it because the market has set expectations for what it thinks it's going to do. And then we get the information about what actually happened, and the market has to react or or right-size itself to whatever occurred. But the monetary policy officials know that whatever they've done to affect demand isn't actually going to start baking through the economy and show and rear its ugly head until about six months later, six to 12 months. So it operates on a leg. So that's why sometimes it seems like, oh my gosh, are they paying attention? Like, do they do they realize that inflation is still a problem? Like, of course they do. Mm. They also realize that when they make an action, that it doesn't start to affect some of those portions of the economy immediately. Yeah. So maybe we can break through, uh, break down those two different reactions to the Fed. There's the market reaction, and then mm-hmm. there's the impact that gets felt in the real economy maybe six to 12 months down the line. Right now, the market is basically pricing in an almost certain rate hike of 75 basis points, which, yeah. you know, as of last week, even was almost completely off the table, right? That kind of got leaked through, I don't want to say the Fed mouthpiece, but kind of the Fed mouthpiece in the form of Team Eros over at the Wall Street Journal. So what mm-hmm. does the market think about this? Like, what kind of reaction should we expect here? Yeah, and you're going to hear all kinds of you know theories about oh they did that on purpose they wanted the market to get to this place to expect 75 instead of 50. Um, before this point or before that that's hot CPI print on Friday, the market had been expecting 50 basis points today and 50 basis points at the end of July, and then maybe there was going to be this like wait and see in August to figure out whether or not it was working right. Mm-hmm. Um, in in very swift fashion, the market moved to decide, you know what, 75 now, maybe another 75 in July. Uh, and the neutral rate or the, the terminal rate, so the highest rate that they would get to, moved up as well or the expectation of that. So 
the market bakes those things in in a couple different forms. It bakes them in uh, if you look at the break evens, which would be um, basically the the point at which it it's not beneficial to buy a spot treasury versus an inflation adjusted treasury. Anyway, what the break even tells you, if you look this up online, right, what that chart tells you is what the expectation is for inflation at whatever point that is. So you can look up two year break evens, and that would tell you the two year expectation of inflation according to the market. Mm -hmm. Same thing with five year, 10 year, etc. Those expectations have actually come down, especially on the five on a 10 year basis, which is interesting, um, and probably a good thing. But in the meantime, yields have continued to rise. So we've hit, I don't know exactly where the 10-year is right now, but we've gone up, you know, three, up to 3.5% on the 10-year, which was a meteoric rise. It was huge. And that's what the market reaction tries to decide, okay, the Fed is going to make this type of move and bond yields need to be, therefore, at this level in order to digest that type of move. So the market reacts, obviously, in the moment, very quickly. Um, I will say the market tends to overreact both before mm. and after things like this. And this is a time that obviously things have been volatile. Equities have been volatile. Yields have been especially volatile. This is a time for investors that I really think is a good time to sit on the sidelines and wait for some of these big events to just happen, get it out of our system, whether that's a flush in the market or it's just a a kind of whiplash, you know, we go up, we go back down, we come back up to the same spot. Because if you try to chase those and you try to chase that market reaction and those inflection points, the chances of you getting it right are slim to none, right? And it happens so quickly, it happens on a dime. So you can't catch it. And by the time you've realized that you're behind the curve, you're missing it, right? So anyway, the market can react very, very quickly. And it will react very, very quickly, and it, it sets expectations for what it thinks the policy actions are going to be. The economy, however, what the Fed is trying to do to the economy is cool it off. Um, I think many people are hoping that they can cool it off without making it go into a recession, right? Cool it without contracting it. I don't know if that's going to be possible or not. It's, it's rare that we go into an aggressive hiking cycle and don't have a recession. But I will say it's also rare that we would have a recession with such a strong labor market. So what does that mean? That doesn't mean it's impossible, but it means that the labor market has to break first, right? Mm. So, and we haven't quite seen that yet. So things like initial jobless claims would have to rise. Um, we would have to see probably the open positions fall. So there was still 11 million open jobs out there, only 7 million unemployed people. So that was the tight labor market that we kept talking about. So we would need to see some of those numbers change. And we have recently started to get reports rolling in about companies that are laying off employees or freezing hiring. So it's starting to happen. And we're certainly cooling the economy down. It's just, it's much more tricky to watch the economic data because we don't know how, how much we're cooling it down. And economic data is reported on a leg, right? Market data is trying to project what happens into the future. Economic data is reporting what happened last week, last month, last quarter. So a lot of times we don't know if we went too far or if we didn't go far enough until it's too late. 
Right. Let's talk about how some of the market reactions, let's say bond yields, how does that actually trickle down into the real economy? I think for me, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show, and I know you've written about as well, is the housing market. Sorry, mm-hmm. right, when you have the 10-year going up, actually the mortgage rate, the rate, the rate for 30-year fixed mortgage in the US, right, there was mm-hmm. a low in the pandemic of somewhere around 3%. That rose to 5%. I think in the last month or so, it's jumped to over 6%. Six and so, and how half, does yeah. that, mm-hmm. so how does that impact the housing market? And then generally, how does the housing market kind of, how does that in, like trickle down into the real economy? Yeah, it's a good question. Okay, so let's start with yields. Um, because we talk about rates, rates are different than yields. Mm. Okay, I'm just going to pause for that. <laughs> for everybody pause, else, like, pause to think about effect. that for a second. Yeah. So <laughs> rates, if we're talking about rates, what's going to happen with rates? That's usually what we're talking about uh, the Fed funds rate, what are mm-hmm. policymakers going to do with the rate, the target rate? Okay, so mm-hmm. that's a rate. Yields, are the market's decision about where bonds are trading. Um, Yields are different than rates. So take, for example, the 10-year Treasury yield, which, as I mentioned already, has risen swiftly in the last couple weeks. It's risen a lot this year alone. When you look at, okay, so where the Fed funds rate is and, and what the policymakers decide about the Fed funds rate, that directly affects what's called the prime rate. The prime rate is what banks lend money to consumers at, or at least it's their benchmark. So that's, if you're a very well-qualified borrower, you might get something around the prime rate plus just a little bit, right? If you're a less qualified borrower, you might get something prime rate plus 300 basis points, 400 basis points, right? So think about the Fed funds rate then affecting the prime rate, and that affects borrowing rates for consumers of all different types of loans. Okay, and then there's all different, you know, personal loans are going to be at a higher rate than mortgage loans, so on and so forth. The 10-year treasury yield and 30-year mortgage rates are very strongly correlated, strongly positively correlated. So as the 10-year yield rises, as do 30-year mortgage rates. So as you mentioned, 30-year rates have gone from 55 to 65 It's like we went to bed on Monday, we woke up today, and they were <laughs> up 100 basis points, right? That's how it feels. So how that affects, number one, how it affects consumers is that buying a house becomes less and less affordable. So we're, I think everybody knows at this point, right, real estate prices have risen dramatically as well. Home prices have risen at about 19% per month since last April, which is like huge, right? That's Those are very high prices. The inventory of homes available on the market has been part of that issue. So not only have home prices risen, But now the money that you're going to take out to buy that home has become more expensive. So housing affordability has gone down, right? So that's how it affects the consumer. So when the Fed raises rates, I mean, it seems like, okay, they're going to to put this target rate at something, now what, right? That's how it bakes through. That's a, a good example of how it bakes through because you might then see less people buying a home because they can't afford it or they don't qualify for the mortgage anymore because the rate changed and something called their interest coverage ratio is no longer attractive to the lender, hmm. right? So then you have less demand. That's just mortgages, though. That's just the housing market. I think that's the easiest one to understand. Think about other types of loans, auto loans, credit cards, personal loans, whatever it may be, student loans, right? Well, although student loans are a little bit of a different beast. But let's take an auto loan, for example. We also know that car prices have gone up quite a bit. Auto loans are at a higher rate than mortgages, and they're also pegged to prime. Mm. So as the Fed raises rates, auto loans become more expensive. 
And then maybe you were somebody that you were going to buy a certain type of car and now you can't afford that kind of car anymore. So you buy a lower level type of car or you just decide you're not going to buy a car at all. You're going to buy a bike instead. Right. Mm. So again, that's another type of demand in the economy that gets reduced. So the whole, the whole purpose of this, of them cooling off the economy is to reduce the level of demand in a number of different sectors so that inflation can come down because the very simple definition of inflation is more money chasing fewer goods because we can't control the amount of goods with the Fed funds rate. We can control how much money is chasing those goods. And that's what they're trying to do. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. I talk to a lot of fast growing crypto native funds, crypto banks, exchanges and the like, and they all tell me they have the same two problems. One, their treasury management setup sucks. They've got analysts wasting time and money on manual transactions. Two, they are not happy with their current security setup. They're sharing passwords, they're sending test transactions, and they're worried that their funds might be at risk. Fireblocks is a platform that solves all of that for you. They're a one-stop shop portal, which automatically plugs into exchanges, trading venues, etc. They source deep liquidity and solve everything from day-to-day crypto transactions all the way down to complex DeFi strategy. And the best thing about Fireblocks is that they offer scalable solutions with industry-leading technology. Doesn't matter if you're a two-person crypto fund or a 2,000-person crypto exchange, these guys have you covered. And the last thing that I'll say about this company is that I have known them for years. They are a high-integrity team. They ship product like no other. I would trust them with my own funds. So click the link at the bottom of this page and tell them that I sent you. Very, very important that you click the link at the bottom here. Otherwise, they're not going to know that I sent you. And then how am I going to get credit? So help a brother out. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell them I sent you. Right. Talking about the demand side of the equation, that's kind of everything that you're describing here is kind of the consumer balance sheet of the nation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. That's Mm -hmm. credit that gets taken out in the form of buying cars. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Homes. These are things that consumers spend money on. Let's kind of shift to the corporate balance sheet here. Right. Because in the same way that the cost of accessing credit is rising for the consumer, we see the cost of credit rising for uh, for corporates as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and so they're going to have to absorb these higher interest costs and that's going to impact new projects that they invest in, et cetera. Um, you know, something that stood out to me is, uh, you know, at, at, at this time, right, where we're talking about entering a recession, depending on who you listen to, we're heading into some sort of great depression, uh, TBD. Uh, but, you know, we're still forecasting an increase of earnings of 10% for the coming year. How realistic does that number seem to you? Very unrealistic. <laughs> Did you want me to expand on that? No, I'm on the same page as you, right? It's like we're watching this right slow motion car crash unfold here, right? Maybe the economic impacts of everything that's going on with the Fed don't get felt to six for six to twelve months, but you know we're still forecasting earnings growth. We still have this really low unemployment rate, guys. Our unemployment rate it's at three point five percent now. In the last great moved up to six, moved up to six, three point six, yeah, three point six. Okay, in the Great Recession, it kissed ten percent. Right. So there yeah. is a, a long way to go here. Um, yeah. So uh, hold on a couple things just about the labor market, because I know I mentioned that, too, and I don't want people to get confused or think that the labor market's going to keep us out of recession. That's not the case. Right. But the labor market is one of the last things that turns. Mm. So by the time the labor market turns, we're probably already in it. Mm. Right. So that's something it's it's something to watch. But by the time the labor market is cracking, that means many other things have already cracked. Because if you're a company, if you're a corporation, think about it this way, just very logically as, as somebody, let's say you're the CEO of a company, right? And you start seeing your costs increase because inflation has increased. So 
uh, all of the input costs that you have to make your widgets have risen, and you don't want to pass along all those costs to the consumer because then people will stop buying your widgets, right? And they'll go to the competition who's still pricing them lower. So you eat some of the cost. The good news to corporations coming into this is that profit margins were at an all-time high. So they have a buffer to eat some of those costs, which is why we didn't see them pass the costs through right away. But now they're getting to the point where they have to do something. It's eating into their profit margins so much that they have to do something. And we also have wage inflation. So I think goods inflation is pretty obvious to most people what that means, right? What, you know, milk yesterday costs less than milk today. But wage inflation has also increased. So if I'm, if I'm the CEO of a company, not only have my input costs increased to make my widgets, all the people that I pay to make my widgets also now make more money than they did before. So that's costing me more, right? So my co- I'm getting hit with costs from multiple directions mm-hmm. and my revenue hasn't necessarily increased enough to offset it. So then what do I do first in order to manage my costs? I cut things like an advertising budget, right? I cut um, maybe some of the cost of sales, right? Um, so maybe we don't do as much we don't do as much advertising. We don't go to as many conferences. I don't, I'm making some of this up, but you know, sure. it's, it's the advertising kind of marketing yeah. stuff that gets cut. And then maybe we pass a little bit through to customers if we, if we think we can, but more likely we just say, you know what? We're not going to hire people for the rest of the year. We don't lay anybody off, but we stop hiring, right? So that's the next step. And you'd kind of tighten up the purse strings for a while. The last resort for a company is usually to say, okay, we have to lay people off. Nobody wants to let people go, right? That's that's the last resort because those people were productive and now you have less people to do the work. So by the time a company has to lay people off, it, it's it's gotten pretty bad, right? And we're seeing that in some sectors. You're seeing that in the tech sector. You're seeing some layoffs happen in crypto and, and other places because they've gotten hit so hard by the market. So they don't have the capital laying around anymore. Their profit margins have fallen because just their equity has fallen. Mm -hmm. So they've gotten to the point where they're like, you know what? We don't have a choice. we got to lay people off, right? Mm. That's kind of, that's the last resort. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we're kind of talking about two different things here. I feel like people toss around the term bear market and a recession very, uh, you know, they kind of use those as the same thing. Bear Mm -hmm. market, right, is a contraction, 20% the price of stocks, right? Different, Mm -hmm. depending on what indice you use. Mm -hmm. Uh, a recession is kind of what we're talking about. Can you kind of very concretely, you were talking about some of the ramifications that get felt at the corporate level, at the personal level of a recession. Can you try and walk us through like very tangibly, what is a recession? And if you had to handicap the odds of, of entering one, like how likely do you see us heading, yeah. heading into one? I will, let me, let me shine up my crystal ball. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So let's be very, very concrete about the definitions. If you look this up, you know, what is the definition of la 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 uh, mm. in each scenario? So the definition of a market correction is a drawdown of 10% or more. Mm-hmm. So from 10% to 20% would still be called a correction. A bear market is a drawdown of more than 20% from from peak to trough. So most recent high to whatever it's at today. The S&P 500 entered bear market finally this week, closed Mm -hmm. in bear market territory. So I I think it closed down 21 or 22% on Monday. And that was the first time we actually closed down. And that's from the January 3rd high. So the last high in the S&P was on January 3rd. So whatever we closed at on Monday was down about 21.5% from that high. That was official bear market territory. A recession is defined as at least two consecutive quarters 
of negative GDP growth. So we've had one quarter of negative growth. With the first quarter GDP print, real GDP print for the U.S. was negative 1.5%, which means that if we get a negative GDP growth number at the end of July for the second quarter, we're going to get, I think it's July 28th or something along those lines, we're going to hear about what second quarter GDP is. If that number is negative, that's a recession. That's the technical definition of a recession. Okay. Mm. Now, what does that mean? How do we feel it? First of all, tying the two together, a bear market without a recession, and these are rules of thumb. This is like averages over a long period of time, right? I, obviously, there are exceptions to every rule. But a bear market without a recession is usually somewhere between 20 and 30%, I'll say. Okay? So we could actually bounce around in this down 20 to 30% area for a while. And I believe also, on average, bear markets last about 20 months, which is like not news that anybody wants to hear, right? Because if we just started it, no thanks. But um, there have been much shorter ones, fear not. But it's possible that we could bounce around in this 20 to 30% down range until or unless, you know, we find out that we're in a recession. Bear markets with recessions, coupled with recessions, are usually deeper, somewhere in that 30, 35, 40, even 45, right? I think in, in 2009, it was 58% right? So those are much deeper drawdowns with a recession. That's why it matters. And that's why we keep talking about, are we in a recession? Are we going into a recession? Because if I'll say this, and this is the only thing I can say with like a a decent amount of, of confidence. If we're only down 21, 22% on the S and P and we find out we're in a recession, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. It's going to go down more, right? Mm. Because that drawdown then has to reflect what's going to happen to corporations when they revise their earnings down, we're probably going to see earnings contraction. We're going to see consumer spending pull back. The consumer is 70% of our economy. So you go into a recession, the consumer stops spending, and it's all it's all kind of a domino effect, right? People start losing their jobs. Obviously, they stop spending money. If they stop spending money, the companies don't make money because people aren't buying their stuff. So then they have to revise their earnings down, and the market has to reflect that. So it's all connected. It's just a matter of knowing how it's all connected. Now, this is really where I need you to pull out your crystal ball and, and give it a good oh shine here because this is a tough one to answer. But I think the question on a lot of people's minds are, right, everyone's all eyes are on the central bank, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We said this is a really important FOMC that's coming out later today. They're going to continue to be important over the coming months. It's really hard to see a catalyst for exiting this recession, bear market, whatever, without some sort of change in rates, right? Or reversal of the tightening policy from the central bank. So I guess, A, if you had to pull out your crystal ball, like, A, do you agree with that statement? Do you think that there's a way out of the current negative trend without a reversal in policy from the Fed? Uh, And B, like, how long do you kind of see the current downdraft, both in the economy, on the recession level, and in the markets on the bear market level? How long do you see that happening? So what, what the market wants to see in order to stop going down is it wants to see inflation come down faster than growth. So right now, growth is slowing, and we're getting indicators of that. It hasn't contracted terribly yet. You know, it's not dire straits. But what it wants to see is inflation come down faster, and that has certainly not happened yet. Um, So that would be one positive. If we start to see inflation really be affected and it starts to cool off and and the the pace with which it's cooling is is fast, the market would like that, Okay. There are a couple of things that could happen, right? If there is a de-escalation in the Russia-Ukraine war, Mm. one of the things that's driven inflation is energy prices. So if there's a de-escalation in that war, you probably get a pretty big dip in energy prices. So that would help the inflation story. 
until inflation gets to a point where the Fed is comfortable with it, they are not going to stop on this tightening cycle. And they shouldn't, frankly. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have said, well, maybe they don't mind if we go into a recession. The reason people say that is because if we went into a recession, it causes demand destruction. So we mm. talked about that, right? Consumer spending, everybody right. spends less, you, you buy less cars, you don't buy a house, whatever. So if we go into a recession, it causes demand destruction. That would concurrently fix the inflation problem. So mm. then they would stop tightening, right? The, if we're in a recession and inflation has fallen, they're not going to keep tightening. Um, in fact, if we go into a pretty bad recession, they probably have to cut, right? Or they at least have to pause. At the very least, they have to pause. So there are a few things that would that would change that trajectory. Um, but, you know, one of the other things that we hear all the time is, oh, they're trying to orchestrate a soft landing. Well, what the heck is a soft landing? A soft landing is that they cool demand and they cool inflation without sending us into a recession. That is looking less and less possible as days go by and as as data rolls in. Um, but that was that was pretty much the hope at first. I would say it's not impossible at this point. It's it's getting less probable. Greenspan right? did it in ninety four. Right. Yeah, well, one of very you know few. what? Hats off to him. <laughs> uh, inflation wasn't this high in 94. So the last time it was this high, we had a double dip recession. Mm. And that was in the early 80s. So, um, you know, nobody really in this type of environment, I don't think anybody has landed the plane. So it's, it's again, it's not impossible, but it's improbable which is why the market is having so much consternation about what's going to happen and, and what everybody's going to say. Yeah, I agree. It's a tough situation. Liz, I know we've got a hard stop here. Thank you so, so much for yes. coming on the show. And yeah. real quick, if folks want to find you, you do a lot of great work on your blog. And, and if, if folks want to find out more about you, follow you on Twitter, follow your work, what's the best way to do that? Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Liz Young Strat. You can also read uh, my weekly articles. I write for SoFi in the daily newsletter every single Thursday morning. So there will be a new one out tomorrow on this Fed meeting. Great. Uh, and that's at www.sofi.com slash daily. Great. Liz, thanks so much. This is a short one. We'll have to get you back for a longer segment yeah. on the show sometime soon. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Bye. 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 